You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. We are talking about how we are wired for good. Something that God has given to each one of us, the ability to impact the world in such a way that we bring good about. And we're trying to figure out how we each do that in our own particular unique ways. And we've been looking at different characters in the Bible about how God has used them and seeing if there's any lessons for us to learn. So we're going to keep doing that today by looking at Paul. And we're going to be reading part of his story from Acts chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible, I'd like to invite you to open that up or go to your um, phone app or whatever you read Scripture on and open up to Acts chapter 15. I'm going to start reading from Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 36. Before I read that, I want you to know that you are in my prayers, and here is my prayer for you. The Lord be with you. Acts 15, 36. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John also also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in that work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left for Syria, and they went there to strengthen all the churches. This is God's Word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. Now, I've been noticing some things about teamwork this week, as with you all, been watching eagerly as the return of electrical power has gotten closer and closer to my house. So on, uh, I think it was Monday night, they got it across the street from us, and the next night they got it um, on the other end of our street, and the next night they got it on the other end of the street. It was the light post. uh, Two houses down from our house had power, but we didn't have it. And I think it was finally Thursday night, our power came on. Of course, we all like, cheered, yay, we're so glad for that. But I've been watching these crews that have been working, and in our neighborhood, it was a crew that was actually from Canada, and we were really grateful for them. But there's a lot of teamwork involved in getting the power back, and I've noticed this, these parts of the teamwork. There's, of course, the bucket truck, so the guy that gets up in the bucket and dinks around up there at the top of the pole. There's the guy with the hole-digging truck with the little corkscrew thing for the telephone poles. There's the guy that brings the telephone poles. There's usually a couple guys standing on the ground looking up at the bucket truck, not doing anything. And then there's usually a guy in a white pickup sitting there, and he never gets out of the truck. I don't know exactly what he does, but each of these players are essential for us to get our power back together. I think it's inspiring when we find teams that work really well to accomplish their mission, which they did on our street this particular week. I also got to think about the right person in the right place at the right time, and I started to think about sports, especially sports teams, because the sports teams that are really successful do tend to have the right people at the right time. And one of the challenges is coaching those teams. And I got thinking about great coaches and the coaches that have inspired me because they excel at coaching teams of people who are sometimes with very big egos, and they have to kind of try to manage all those things. I actually think that baseball managers have perhaps the most complex 
coaching job because they have to deal with a large team, 25-plus players, and they have to deal with that over the course of, uh, in a normal year, 180, 162 games over 180 days. And in order to manage all that, it's challenging. It seems to me that that's quite difficult. And then I found a guy who confirmed my suspicions by talking about baseball managers. Here's what he said. This is a 17-year baseball veteran, what he said about the managers. He said, you must manage personalities. I'm like, I never really thought of that. You've got to really deal with the people. He went on to say, that's so important. You have to deal with so many people. That's 25 personalities, 25 egos. You want to know those 25 players and how to get them to play for you and give them everything they have every day. This is the challenging of a manager, baseball manager. And they have to keep everybody in sync. In order to do that, they've got to get along with that, and they've got to figure out the strategy, and they have to all live together while they're doing this over this long, grueling season. And it seems to me like the bigger the talent, the bigger the ego, the more difficult it might be to manage somebody like that on a team. Just suspicious about that. Now, one of the biggest personalities in the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. He's huge. He, he takes all these missionary journeys just about to the entire known world. He plants dozens of churches, and then he writes uh, almost a third of the New Testament. And whenever I've thought about Paul, I've thought about there's a guy who seems to have a pretty good ego. He seems to be pretty confident. And then I uh, was reminded of that when I was reading his resume, the resume he wrote for himself in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. See if this doesn't sound like a little bit of ego. He said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, and been flogged more severely than anyone else. (laughs) A little ego, maybe. He said, I've been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides all of this, I've faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This guy was a very gifted individual. And usually when I'm thinking about Paul, I think about a guy who was strong and fiercely independent. I think of him as being kind of a guy out there blazing his own trail and not necessarily a team player. That's how we've usually thought of Paul. This week I discovered I couldn't be more wrong about that characterization of Paul, that Paul actually had a big team and he worked with his team all the time. I actually started to dig into some of the people and places that he went to, and I came across lists of dozens of individuals, some of them I don't remember ever hearing before, who were part of Paul's teams. Here's a guy named Aristarchus of Thessalonica. Ever hear that name before? Aristarchus? He apparently was seized at the same time Paul was seized in Ephesus and was thrown in prison to him. Paul calls him fellow prisoner and laborer. Barnabas, of course, we've heard of him. He traveled on many of the trips that Paul took. 
was very successful. In fact, he was very successful even more than Paul in evangelizing the God-fearing Gentiles that were in the various cities. Gaius of Macedonia, Epaphras, Jason, Lucius. Are these familiar names to you? Most of these are just names. We don't really know too much about them, but that they are referred to as fellow travelers or partners or fellow laborers with Paul. Of course, you know about Silas and Timothy and John Mark and Luke the evangelist, but maybe you never heard of Onesimus or Priscilla and Aquila or Sosthenes or Tychius or Ananias of Damascus. These are all people that Paul had on his team. And there was also Lydia and Dionysius and Erastus. And there's a bunch of other names which I could not pronounce, so I'm not going to tell you who they were. But Paul had a big team. And my conclusion after reading all these passages was this. Together is normal. Paul was not a lone ranger. He built a team and he worked together with these people. And he cared for them deeply. Paul refers to them often as dear brothers and sisters, faithful servants. He clearly loves them. And he misses them when he's not with them. He, he talks about how he longs to go back and see these people that he partnered with again. Even in this passage we just read, he said, hey, let's go back and visit them. He wants to see these partners. Doing ministry together is normal. Now that may or may not be a surprise to you because we as people are actually wild, wired to do life together. Doing life together is normal. Now, it might be normal, but over the last, say, maybe half century, people in our society have actually done less and less togetherness. And there's been lots of studies to kind of document the decline in community, the decline of working together. One of the most famous studies was a landmark study called Bowling Alone. That was the name of the study. And they discovered that over the past half century, we have done less and less things together with other people in our communities. And this is, a, this is in their opinion, a shame because there's so much good that comes out of being together. They notice these things. Together promotes and protects relationships. You can't be in relationship alone. It improves personal and community welfare. It's actually better for everyone if we do things together. Togetherness fosters greater cohesion and robust collective action. And when I read that, I couldn't help but think about what I've seen looking out my windows the last couple of weeks, that this crisis has actually generated a lot of togetherness and robust collective action. That's what I would call it when you get a group of people with chainsaws hauling branches to the curb. This is robust action. It actually mitigates the risk of conflict if you spend more time together because you figure out how to navigate it. It also promotes equitable distribution of resources and actually enhances the participation of people who are on the margins. So what they found was that when we do more of life together, we actually are constantly drawing people in from the edges. And we're actually more open to share the stuff that we have with people who don't have it. All these things are benefits of being together. And then, sadly, they discovered we're doing less and less of this as a community. Less and less togetherness. With the notable exception of this past couple of weeks. Um, 
I don't think we thought twice in the past couple weeks of checking on people. We just did it, of pitching in to help somebody who was in need. I found it interesting that uh, one of my neighbors, since it was hot in the house and there's no power, they set up one of those little tent canopies out on their driveway in front of their house. And then they put several chairs under there. There's only two people living in the house, but they put a bunch of chairs under this canopy. And every night when we walk the dogs past this house, there's different people sitting out in front of their house. They're just hanging out. And so Thursday night, after our power finally came on, when I walked by there, I yelled at them and said, hey, you can go in the house now. And they yelled back at me and said, we're going to stay out here. And what they discovered was, together's normal. Now, they probably also discovered the second point, which I want to talk about, which is, together can also be complicated. Life together can get messy sometimes. We even think this is true about doing ministry together. You think, yeah, let's get a bunch of godly people together and work on a project. There shouldn't be any conflict, right? That's how we kind of sometimes idealize and romanticize the biblical stories. Think of these people with these fantastic resumes. They went out and were missionaries to the world. They started the Christian movement. They planted churches all over the place. They got along, didn't they? They certainly were happy to work together. Here's the passage we read from Acts 15. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in all the towns where we preached and see how they're doing. Together's normal. So Barnabas wanted to go, and he wanted to take John Mark with them. But Paul did not think it was wise because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. So Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement, and they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark and went to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas, and they went to Syria. That phrase jumped out at me this week. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted ways. Everything is not peace and calm. Working together can be complicated. It can be messy. People who have strong passions and strong gifts, people who care a lot, can disagree. I think that this past week we had maybe 10 or 12 different groups inquire about partnering with us to do some kind of ministry. And many of them were about, we're looking for space, we need a place to stay. Um, a, A group that wanted to do relief work in the community wanted to sleep over here like we did in 2008 with open hands. And we said, yeah, we'd be open to that. Um, Stonebridge, their roof blew off. They're looking for a place to hold worship. We say, yeah, we could partner with you in that. Some homeschool group wanted to use classrooms. Just different people calling us about, hey, we got this stuff. We need help. Can we partner with you? And I got to tell you, it geeks me out when we get these calls. And the response of our leadership and our staff geeks me out too because they go, yeah, we should do it. But I got to be honest and admit that every time we get one of these requests, there's something way down in here that gets a little bit churned up. And I go, yeah, but it's going to be complicated. It's going to create more work. There's going to be disagreements. There's going to be mess. Somebody's going to come in here and move my stuff around. This is going to cause complications. Together is complicated. And any of you who have worked on teams for any length of time know this is true. It's also true in ministry. We're real people. The people in in Acts were real people with real personalities, with real differences of opinion, and they sometimes disagreed. Complicated 
it can be to work together. Normal, but complicated. But we do it anyway because of the third thing I want to say, which is together is better. Together is better. Ecclesiastes 4 says this, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm. How can someone keep warm alone? The one who, though one may over, be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Together is better. And the verses right before this, verses we don't usually read because they're so depressing, talk about the challenges of being alone. What is it like if we're stuck without someone to help us? Paul picked up on all of this and taught about it and demonstrated it throughout his life. He says things like this, love one another, serve one another, be kind, be compassionate to one another, forgive one another, encourage one another, build one another up. Here's a little clue. You can't do any of his one another commands alone. You need someone else. Paul said this a bunch of times. He actually said it about 47 different times to the churches that he planted. He says, do it together. Serve one another. Love one another. Take care of one another. Paul taught this and he lived it out. He was no lone ranger, which made me wonder, is jail better together? Is getting beaten with a rod better together? It's better if I'm getting beaten, if I know my pals right next to me also getting beaten? I don't know. Shipwreck is better together. 39 lashes are better together. Sharing the gospel is better together. Serving is better together. Chainsawing is better together. Did anybody experience that? I got to tell you, I chainsawed until my arms were so tired I didn't think I could pick up the chainsaw. And then I was so glad I was part of a crew, someone else took the chainsaw and started doing it. Chainsawing is better together. Teaching kids is better together. Working with youth group is better together. Worship is better together. Leading worship is better together. Feeding the hungry is better together. Taking care of the homeless is better together. Everything we do is better together. Everything. Now, Priscilla and Aquila were two of the names I mentioned early in this message. They were first century missionaries who worked with Paul, and they get the privilege of being the individuals most mentioned by him. I think it's like six different times he says something about Priscilla and Aquila, and every time he mentions them, he says something about how they strengthened the church. Paul, recognizing he couldn't he needed someone to be part of his team, and Priscilla and Aquila filled that better when they were all serving together. They accomplished stuff that Paul could never accomplish. Together is normal. Together is complicated, can be, and together is better. And so the question I'm asking everyone to think about today is this. Where are you together? Where are you serving together? Where are you living life together? Where are you pitching in and helping out together? Is there some place that you can make a difference? You can overcome evil and darkness. You can set things right that are wrong. You can care for those who are hurting. You can love somebody who needs to be loved. And you can do it better 
together. Is there a place you can do that? We definitely believe in partnerships. We believe in collaboration. We believe in teams. We believe in teamwork. And all of our ministries are actually set up that way. And we're asking people to start to, you know, rethink and maybe reimagine what does it look like if you engage in a team ministry? Where could that be? Would it be with worship? Would it be with technology? We're, we've been talking for months about, way hey, we're excited about getting the new technology. We actually need more people to run the technology, to help the tech team. And we're going to be doing training in the next few weeks with the brand new booth and the brand new equipment. If you have any interest in being a techie and making us sound good, then that might be the thing for you. You could say, well, yeah, you can do better together with that tech team. What about worship, leading, singing, playing an instrument? I, one of the highlights of my whole week is when I get to come here and listen to our team's lead worship and sing praises, and I can join in on that. And I'm just guessing it's better if you've got vocalists and a guitar and a keyboard and a drummer and all these, all these pieces. It's better, right? Together. Maybe that's your calling. What about working with youth or children or infants? We are anticipating that on the second Sunday of September, the 13th, we're going to resume doing ministry. We've heard that there's people who are ready to get their kids back involved and to get plugged in and to help all that stuff go. We need good people who can serve to be part of these teams. If you feel like you have a passion for kids and you love to uh, love on teenagers, if you, if you want to help teach in a classroom or take care of little infants in the nursery, um, we have a place for you to serve. And I hope you discern that. If your gift is administration and you want to help with that, or leadership, or we're revamping the welcome team to help people feel welcome when they come in here. There's, the sky's the limit in the places where we have uh, opportunities to serve, and we think every one of us has a unique calling, a unique passion, a unique gift, and a unique personality, and we're all better together. That's what we know. One of my favorite teams at the church is the service team or the work project team. We've got a bunch of mostly guys who come here and dink around on stuff. They've, they've actually been doing lots of the install of stuff themselves, and I get a huge kick out of watching them because there's, there's a division of labor on this team. There's actually a couple guys who are like the chiefs, and they direct traffic, and they make plans. They tell people where to go. There's other grunt people who just lug stuff around, pull cables through the system, whatever. There's people who are expert in carpentry. They do carpentry. There's people who are excellent at doing electrical work. They do that. Everybody does their piece. There's a guy who is excellent at bringing donuts. That's his thing. And the team, I think, loves him more than any other member of the team. There's a place for everybody. And we believe that together is normal. Together is messy, sometimes complicated. But Together is better, and there's a place for each one of us to serve together. That's our hope and prayer. So, God, we pray that you'll continue to show us how to serve our community, how to do ministry here in this place. And God, I want to give you thanks and praise this morning for so many gifted and passionate people who love you and love each other and serve constantly. I thank you, God, for those who are so faithful in doing that. God, I pray that you'll continue to raise up uh, an army of volunteers to serve, not just here in our building, but throughout our community to love our neighbors, 
to love our community well. God, there's so many things you want to accomplish. There's so many broken things in this world you want to set right. And God, I pray that you will raise up people. You've said the harvest is plentiful, and you said we should pray for workers. So we're praying for people to come to the harvest. God, I pray for those right now who are in a tough spot. We know there's so many people in our community who are hurting, dealing with still immense challenges because of the pandemic and because of the storms that have come through. God, we pray for those who are struggling even still with getting power, with patching their roofs, with getting the debris moved away from their yards. God, provide someone even this week for them. Uh, God, we pray for those who have been impacted by uh, loss of job. They're not able to have income right now. Pray that you would provide work for those who need work. God, we pray for those who have been injured, those who are sick, those who are hurting physically, that you would bring a healing touch upon them. God, I pray for this uh, swarm of people who are out serving us in the, the, those doing the power restoration, those protecting us, those who are removing the debris. Uh, keep everyone safe as they're out working and, and volunteering. God, we thank you for our community and we thank you for the opportunities that we know we have even now and in the coming weeks to love well, to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it, and to see our neighborhoods transformed. And so, God, accomplish the good things that you want to accomplish. God, I thank you for this morning, for the chance to gather together here, for those who've gathered with us online, for helping us draw together in these ways to celebrate you and to love each other. Continue to guide us in that, protect us in that. And we'll be careful, God, to give you all the thanks and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We pray you are blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.